A long time in the future in the Milky Way galaxy, it's the Vercozicast. Each month, join Nancy and Robin as they read through the Vercozican saga by Lois McMaster Bujold. From Borear to Jackson's Hole, from Cordelia to Miles, it's time to jump through a wormhole and explore the galactic nexus. everyone, welcome to episode 6 of the Cast. I'm your host Nancy. And I'm your host Robin. Uh, today we're going to break down three stories about Miles and the Dendarian mercenaries, uh, Labyrinth, Borders of Infinity, and Brothers in Arms. Um, but before we do that, Nancy found a new interview with Lois McMaster Bujold that had some items of interest to us. Indeed, I did. Lois McMaster Bujold shared this interview on her blog from the Facebook Science Fiction Book Club. And there, were, the first one of interest was a question about adapting the saga for film, saga for film and TV. And Jim Dean asked, I would love to see the saga serialized on TV. Would you be open to that? Who would play Miles? Elena Bathari. Media adaptations are a buyer's market, but I agree the series would lend itself better to the small screen than the large, with miniseries being the best shot at something resembling accuracy. Marketing and licensing of media rights is the business of my agent, actually my agent's media agent, and tricky stuff, but we are open to a bona fide offer. Bona fide, in this case, is a code term for a solvent production company with a track record of successfully launched prior works. These entities are rare. But I do think the VK series would be way harder to adapt than most readers realize, because so much of what's important takes place inside the characters' heads, where the camera cannot go. So while it might someday be adapted, I doubt what would end up on the screen would have much resemblance to the books. I'm not well-versed enough in modern actors to play the casting game. So... That is exciting. How do we feel about that? Well, A, that's exciting because I've always had this somewhat little fear that she wouldn't want any her show and her series to be adapted. Because mm-hmm. some authors are picky like that. Like there are mm-hmm. some authors who are completely against fanfic. There are some authors who don't want anything of theirs to be adapted ever. And like as much as I Which I think is super weird because right. do you know the money that you get from yeah. that shit? If only for the money, like Right. I'd be like, That's do whatever you want with it. Itself. Do whatever you want. Just give me money. <laughs> right. But I um, mean if you really sell the rights to something and it becomes you know, if you do it right and you're selling it to somebody like HBO or Showtime, or one of those, like George R. R. Martin, right. or Diana Gabaldon. They both have um, consulting and writing credits right. on Game of Thrones and Outlander. Um, and they make, not only do they make money on the initial option, which is, you know, the, oh. the first initial, like, year of development time right they then make money if it's officially picked up then they make money on the writing credits then they make money on residuals like why would you not want to do that yeah so but i would <laughs> but as much as i've been calling for like a series and wanting a series like it, it always like was in the back of my mind maybe she doesn't want one and this is all for nothing so i was very glad to see that yes yeah, she would like one because right yeah of course she would. Um, but because <laughs> she's not dumb. Yeah. But um, 
I do. I do agree with her. I think TV would be best. I'm thinking like something like The Crown on Netflix. That's like Mm -hmm. 13 episodes or so per season. Um, And I I already have it in my head how they can divide the seasons up to up into up into (laughs) by the books. But you haven't thought we haven't thought about this at all. No, I haven't Uh -uh. thought about how Mm -mm. season one would be about Cordelia and Errol and how season two would be about Miles and the Dendari and season three would be about Miles and Mark and season four would be about Miles and a Catarin. And season Uh five would be Miles the Imperial Auditor. I haven't thought about that at all. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. And you could combine a couple of missions and oh, yeah. several books and, you know, take bits and pieces of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do I do understand what she, how she says that it would be very different than the books because of, you know, just the nature of stories for the page versus stories for the screen. But that's also one of the reasons why I want it so much is because... I love the series so much. The idea of getting the same story but different is like yeah. super exciting. And honestly, to me. if you've hired the right production company and you've hired the right writers, uh-huh. a screen adaptation can be astonishingly good. Right. Um, I, I I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I have loved Outlander since the mid '90s, and having it finally come to the screen mm-hmm. has been really exciting. The production company really cares about what they're doing. And obviously they have to make changes. I mean, that's just how it works. You can't literally adapt. Right. And I mean, literally in the actual definition. Yeah. Um, you can't literally adapt a book to a film. No. It's just impossible. Harry Potter um, would like a word. <laughs> right. Um, but... And I've totally lost my train of thought. It's Oops. just gone. Whoosh. Oops. Um, anyway, Outlander has been a great, I think it's a, a, a really good, and Game of Thrones too. Right. Has been a really excellent adaptation. Mm-hmm. Both really expensive, both science fiction fantasy. Uh-huh. So it's not like this couldn't be done. Yeah. It would just be expensive and you'd have to have exactly the right team to do it yeah another one that's uh, doing very well right now is um expand the expanse on Uh sci-fi which actually i don't know if i'd say it's doing well because it got canceled by (laughs) sci-fi and then then didn't it get picked it got picked up by amazon um so but you know those are i haven't read those books but um my husband brian has and you know he he's said a few times oh this is different this is very different like they're they are moving things up or the combining like the the most the most notable one is that the character of christian of sarala is not in the first book at all she's introduced in the second book and yet she's very prominent in season one um which is smart because she's amazing <laughs> right so if they know they have this great character that comes up in book two why not introduce her earlier right you know, there are some smart decisions that have to be made yep. um, in these adaptations. Um, I do have a quick question that yeah. has nothing to do with this. Um, I've only ever heard my English ex-in-laws pronounce um, bona fide slash bona fides. Uh-huh. So correct me if that's incorrect because they were lawyers <laughs> and they used it a lot. I Yeah, I've only heard it as bona fide, but I... 
I don't know. <laughs> well, the English people mm-hmm. say bona fide. Like yeah. the Latin also, would be. Also, the genie in the song Friend Like Me <laughs> says bona fide. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. I'm sure someone will correct us. Yep. Um so yeah, that I, that was a good question. And we are gonna play the casting game, not right now, because we have three three stories to talk about. <laughs> maybe we're maybe, maybe we can do that at Dragon Con. That yeah, that would be fun. Ooh, we could do That'd two episodes fun. of Dragon Con. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, and the second question was about the development of Miles as the main character. Uh, John Grayshaw asks, when you wrote Shards of Honor, did you know you'd write about Cordelia and Errol's son? When did you realize Miles would be the quote unquote main character? And Lois McMaster Bouchold replied, I had Miles in mind from the time I knew Errol and Cordelia were going to have a kid. So maybe halfway through the writing of that first book. And I knew he would be physically handicapped on military Mad Barry R, but very bright and energetic. And that was all I knew. All my attention was focused on getting to the end of my first novel, so further developments had to wait. The first draft of Shards, back in 1983, actually continued through what is now about the first eight chapters of Barry R, up through the Saltoxin attack, but not including the start of the Pretender's War. So I knew that much more about Miles' start than appeared in Shards, as eventually published in 1986. My first vision for The Warrior's Apprentice was actually the death of Bathari, rather different from the final version, but still while protecting teen Miles somewhere far from home. The rest consisted of finding a beginning and writing my way back to that turning point. My next book was Falling Free, a universe prequel of sorts since it took place about 200 years earlier and was not related to the planet Barriar which was still unrediscovered at that point. So the shape of the potential series didn't start to emerge until I'd written Brothers in Arms next. So we talked a lot about when we read Berear that it was kind of amazing how she referenced, because she wrote, because The Warrior's Apprentice was published first or before uh, Berear. And they, there is direct references to what happens in Brayar with the soul toxin attack. And we're wondering, how the heck did she do that? And this answers that question, is that she yep. had already written that. Um, and it yep. was just not included in the final books. And that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does make a I, lot more sense. I'm kind of mad at myself that I didn't think about that. <laughs> like, maybe she had written it already and just didn't use it. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I don't know why neither one of us thought of that. Yeah. We were just like, <gasps> she's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I mean she is. She's so brilliant. <laughs> um, um, but but yeah. Yeah. And then um, the point at the end about, um, you know, that she didn't know the shape of the series until she r- wrote Brothers in Arms. Obviously, that ties in directly to this week's or this month's episode because that is the book we're, we're talking, talking about. about. <laughs> um, so, yes, today we're going to talk about two novellas um, and one novel, which all feature Miles' adventures with the Dendari mercenaries. Uh, the Borders of Infinity was first published in October of 1989 and is a three novella collection 
with the Mountains of Morning, Labyrinth, and the Borders of Infinity. The Mountains of Morning takes place a little earlier in the timeline, but we are going to discuss it when we discuss the novel Memory, because there is... Because it fits in nicely there. It fits in nicely. It's back on Barayar, and there are some characters and memory that are featured in Mountains of Morning, so I thought that would go better together. Whereas Labyrinth and the Borders of Infinity are Miles with the Dendary, and this is sort of... You know, one of the more major novels with Miles and the Tendari, and also right. Borders of Infinity literally leads right into this book. So, yep. Um, Brothers in Arms was published the same year, but in, in January, so a little earlier. Um, it is the fifth novel published in the series and the second book to feature Miles as a main character, as she referenced in the interview. So, um, you know, this is when it this is when it really started to be okay. This is the Mile series, and this was the book when I really started to fall in love with the series. Yeah, um, and which is you know it always makes it's kind of amusing because it's not my favorite book in the series, but um, it just and I and I loved Borear so and I really liked the War Game as well. But I think once um, I think once. I got to this book, I realized like how different and special the series was and that, you know, she took something so cliche as a clone that was supposed to take over the original uh, for an assassination plot and she made it so amazing. Like, and a really fascinating thing about her writing is that as you go on in the series, we meet, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but you meet this clone and he's awful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you really do care about him later. Oh yes. And yeah. like to take this terrible, awful person and to turn him into a character that you genuinely care about, I think is a real it's, feat. It is. It's, it, it's a mark. It's a testament to her as an author. Like yeah. it's, um, so yeah, this was, I, this was um, the first book where I finished it and I was like, I have to read the next book now. Like, now, right this moment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And I mean, like, you know, not to say I didn't love any of the other books, like Borear for a long time was still my, was my favorite book of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't finish that and go, oh my God, I have to know what happens next. And, you know, the Vore game I loved, but I wasn't like, oh my God, I have to know what happens next. This one I was like... What Give it to, to me what now. Ha- what happened to Mark? What's what? what yep. uh, uh. <laughs> well, I'm so spoiled because I <laughs> will finish these books and immediately buy the audiobook mm-hmm. of the next one. Yep. <laughs> Maybe within like five minutes. <laughs> I um, know. It sucks you in. It's just a co- – yeah, it just completely sucks me in and I just want to know what's happening next with these people. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, I read these novel – this novel and these novellas all out of order. <laughs> so did um, I. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So when I came back to Labyrinth and Borders of Infinity, which take place before Brothers in Arms, right? Yes. Right. See, now I'm confusing myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I oh, did. Oh, the- yeah, the oh, no wonder they're mad. Yeah, I did the same thing. I read, 
I read Brothers in Arms. I read, I think, in like August of 2016. Mm-hmm. And I read the Borders of Infinity novellas in like September of last year so like I was completely out of order and I had already read Memory when I read Mm -hmm. Mountains of Morning and I'm like oh those are those people and then oh I remember those guys I'm like oh that's where Torah comes from right exactly (laughs) but um yeah I I love I love Brothers in Arms I like um the novellas I enjoy they're they're good Miles stories and um like she has said that they're pretty they're kind of like they're good introductions to miles like if you don't want to read an entire novel you know they're good i mean if you don't want to read an entire novel this is not the podcast to be listening to (laughs) no but like you know if you're someone who like wants an introduction to what miles workosian is like i think this is a good i think giving giving them that novella collection is is good Right, because um, they get all like sorts of his character, um, and and when <laughs> when I when I got to Brothers in Arms and I read like the little tiny description in Wikipedia from the page I was using to like direct me through the series, I was like, I was like, oh my god, Miles and Ivan are going to be on Earth. Holy shit, this is amazing. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> because. And- you wonder Go about ahead. Earth because you wonder about Earth in the series because mm-hmm. Earth is Earth exists and you're like and they talk about old Earth yeah and, ancient- um yeah it's it's interesting and I it was it's very interesting because in a lot of these sorts of science fiction stories the Earth is not there and it's it's there but like either it's got been used up or people like have just left the planet because it is you know it's not suitable yeah or, and yeah. and this is you know one of the first series i i knew of that where earth is still a major player and like um you know i t- talked about the expanse earlier the expanse is set like a couple hundred years in the future and earth earth is still a major power because you ha- they haven't really expanded out of the solar system yet um right but this you know it's a thousand years in the future and humans are all throughout the galaxy and they have a way to travel light years you know with the wormholes but yet earth is still there and i love how they play it because earth is not a major political power because of where it is in the galaxy Mm -hmm. but it's still a major social influencer because that's where humanity came from and they mentioned like like religious religious pilgrims returning to earth you know for their different pilgrimages or to like to go to mecca and that sort of thing and i love that that is still a thing a thousand years in the future like right you think of like people who are muslim living on other planets and like turning in the direction of earth to pray like you know like yeah it's fascinating and i love yeah it's go ahead oh i'm just saying and i loved like how she like that it was london that they were in Uh (laughs) uh-huh because i just i I love it (laughs) yeah i really enjoyed all of the escapades on earth (laughs) yes because they were indeed escapades like yeah 
Um, so let's go on to Labyrinth. We're going to discuss the novellas very short, very quickly because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty short. Not very long. Yeah. So Labyrinth is our first visit to Jackson's Hole, um, which we learn in Brothers in Arms was was founded by a group of hijackers was founded by hijackers which makes so much sense it, everything about jackson's hole just makes sense then right it does um so and it is the introduction of baron to baron fell um and baron royal royal that's hard to say um, um it, yeah i don't know how to pronounce it because you know i listen to the audiobook yeah everyone knows by this point in one audiobook, they call them, um, he calls him Rye Ryoval. Oh, okay. And That's then in another name. one, what, Ryoval? <laughs> no, it, Rye Ryoval. Rye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then in another one, it's pronounced, uh, it's pronounced differently. And now I can't remember what it was. Ryoval, uh, maybe? Oh. So who knows? But Ryoval was easier for me oh, yeah. to pronounce and think about. Yeah. How does they say Baraputra? <laughs> Just like that. Oh, Baraputra. nice. Good. Um, or maybe maybe Baraputra. Bar- but either close enough. Right. Um, of note, if you are one of the if you are a cross listener between any of our star wars podcasts and the vercosi cast uh the name baron fell will ring a bell to you uh. and it makes me laugh every time every time i read the book every time i am i am glad that it is a different spelling because yep. i otherwise it'd just be like well but as i listen to it as an audiobook it's clearly not a different spelling yes. and i giggle to myself every time <laughs> yeah um so we learn about jackson's hole and the different houses and how they sort of like specialize in different areas of like biological engineering and like baron fell is like weapons and so miles poses as admiral naismith to um go there and like as a they're gonna buy weapons and they're really there to meet with a doctor who wants to like get help getting off the planet and Barayar wants him for his knowledge for their own engineering yes and so Mile and so this is one of the first stories that features Belthorne um uh that features Belthorne in a like a major role which made me happy because I really do like Bell, and you mm-hmm. don't get a lot of a lot of them. I, I I know the pronoun in the series is it, but I just I I have a hard time using it when I'm talking about <laughs> Bell. <laughs> um, but yeah, I you we get Bell in the Vor game, and like Bell uses this really amazing maneuver to take over the triumph. Um, And then, like, we see Bell again in, um, I think we see Bell in the Vore game. I can't remember. But, um, this is, like, Labyrinth is the first time we really see him or see them. And then, um, (laughs) Bell, it's, it's so confusing when you talk about Bell because there's, um, there's times in the in the stories when Belle like really tries to be feminine because yep. Belle is attracted to Miles and, and then knows that Miles likes ladies is attracted to women and then um like in later on in the story when Belle meets Nicole um like Miles is like 
kind of giggling what to himself because Miles, like Bell, is acting super masculine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but um, I you know, and it's it's nice because you see like Bell as a full, well-rounded character, and you know the. It doesn't feel to me like a pastiche right. or like oh the hermaphrodite like thoughtfully done yeah rather I, than just a joke or mm-hmm. something distasteful and yeah and that's what Ryoval wants to make it and Bell gets so offended and Nicole gets so offended for Bell which mm-hmm. is really sweet um. And it kind of makes me would would want a story like with Bill as a main character or with mm-hmm. like about the the Baton hermaphrodites. Um, it's the only it's the only thing that has made me very interested in reading Fallen Falling Free because that focuses on the Quadis, Um and it's sort of a similar like by bio, bioengineered like mm-hmm. group of humans, but. Anyway, getting off the point. Um, <laughs> so they they meet Nicole, who is a quaddy, um, and Belle is just taken with Nicole, and um, they, they fancy each they, other. They fancy each other, and um, they. Um, we should say what the quaddies are before we go on too far. True. Um, just because that sounds like a really pejorative term to me. <laughs> it is. Like, whoa. I mean, I guess, but... But that's what they call themselves. It is. So they are... So, I guess it can't be pejorative if that's the name you've given yourself, but, like, it feels really awkward. Right. Every time I read it, I'm like, oh. Um, they are a race of bioengineered humans. They were initially engineered to just live in free fall when people when there was no such thing as artificial gravity yeah so they were engineered with four arms yep so they have two arms where human arms would be and then two arms where their legs should be yeah so they are zero g dwellers almost exclusively and yeah. then when they have to be in gravity they float around in these little like float chairs just like yeah. the set again in Holt ladies yeah <laughs> um but uh the it in their the falling free is about the quadies and um you know they they were by what i can't speak they were bioengineered <laughs> To be able to, you know, work in freefall, and then the the um, grav generator was created, and they were basically made obsolete. And apparently, it was like the company that owned them tried to like classify them as like tissue like experiments, so that they could just like exterminate them, own them, and it, yeah. yeah. Um, so the fact that the Quadis, like, 200 years later, have their own, like, Yeah, um, they escaped from that, and they yeah. have their own, like, system. Yep. Not really a planet, it's mostly just asteroids, but, yeah. yeah. you know, they did, they did good by themselves. Yep. Yes. So anyway, we meet Nicole, yes. who is one of these people. Yes, and so Baron Ryerval really wants Nicole. Um and she's a musician and plays the hammer dulcimer, which is one of my favorite instruments. <laughs> um, yes. I was real excited about that. But she and plays the hammer dulcimer with four arms. 
Yes, but also Baron Royal is a very, very, very bad person who wants her for other reasons. The same reason yeah. why Baron Royal wants a s- tissue sample for Belle. Um, and I just don't like to think about those things. I know, I don't either, but that's what it is. And also, the they he Baron Royal makes really mean comments about Miles's height and. Uh, Rival is just a jerk. I mean, a jerk. Jerk is not even a strong enough word. A jerk, jerk, jerk. To be so, fair, so Miles f- and Bell finally uh, r- meet up with Doctor Kanaba, um, who says that he has placed tissue samples in like the leg of this creature that was a genetic like experiment and they have to rescue it like they can't, he well, can't leave without the tissue samples and doesn't he initially task miles with just killing it and yes. bringing him the tissue sample yes yeah. so miles goes go miles and his team get into baron royal's lab um miles gets separated Gets captured, because that's what Miles does. Because that's what he does. Gets thrown in the basement, like, dungeon-type place with the creature, who is actually the 16-year-old girl that has been bioengineered as a super soldier um, and is the last survival of this experiment. Um, and the... It's it's very... it's It's fascinating, because, like their metabolism is super fast um because they're so big and so tall and like they don't live long lives like this you know they they call they call her nine um Mm -hmm. and doesn't even have a name yep and like they're like she's gonna die like soon she's you know everyone else has died really early and um miles is like Oh my god, no one told me that it was a girl. Like and and not just like oh a woman, but like the the, the doctor was calling it a creature and Miles is like, "No, this is a human being." Right. Um I can't kill her cuz Miles and, I mean, is she, precious. She is definitely not just a, you know, average everyday human being. She she's has eight fangs feet tall. and claws, and yep. she's eight feet tall. Yeah, hence the whole super metabolism and yep. the short life. Um, and uh, as an aside, I am currently writing a book with super soldiers, but they are not of the fanged and um, clawed type. But Oh, that's nice. Yes, but I really like this because, again, it's like taking a cliche subject like clones or super soldiers and making it different. Um, So anyway, Miles decides that he is going to rescue this um, prisoner who he names Tara um, and (laughs) decides the best way to make Tara feel like she's a real human woman girl is to have sex with her. Sleep with her. And Miles, why are you like this? I mean, Miles is like you four make- foot nine. Miles is a thing for tall women. Like, yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, that's extreme. He he notes a four that- foot height difference is extreme. He notes that when you're lying down, it doesn't matter. Which, as a short person, I will say that's not entirely accurate. <laughs> I had my first boyfriend was um, seven feet tall. Oh my god! And. 
A, that's giant. So eight feet tall is like what? Yeah. Um, and B, it does make a difference. Yeah. It it, it, does, it does make a difference. It does. It, like you can't kiss. No, you have to stand I mean, on things. You can do the other thing, but then you can't kiss while you're doing that. And like, yep. Anyway, sorry. We yeah, we don't <laughs> have to digress off track. too far. So yeah, this is when I kind road. of head desk at Miles, and <sighs> I just have sigh, and I'm like, Miles, you are just really hard to love sometimes. <laughs> yep. But he, but he's but also, also how can we not? Right, because he's, like, going to stick his neck out to save Tara, and he figures out how to do it, and they completely destroy all of Baron Royal's tissue samples, and it's fantastic. And they rescue Nicole, um, because the Dindari were like, well, you know, we're trying to get you out, so we're going to, like, negotiate with them, and what they want is Nicole, and then, like, Miles uses Tara to attack and then um i mean she like straight up murders yeah it's great and then and then once they get to the ship like he has um laureen one of the one of the uh soldiers mercenaries help get her like you know all freshened up and um you know he says give her whatever she wants to eat because she's been starving and, um, you know, he basically tells her, you know, the doctor placed this these tissues in your um, leg and he wanted me to just knock you out and take them, but I'm not going to do that. And um, then it's like, I want you in the Denari Mercenaries, but it's your decision. And if you don't want to, we can take you wherever you want to go. And I'm just like... Because he wants to give her agency. Right. And like, yep. as much as problems miles has in the series with like wanting to control things he does give people that that give people their choices yep he He, miles has a lot of failings but he most of the time yeah realizes that people need to make their own decisions and he sees the humanity in people where other people may not right yeah. Um, so yeah, Labyrinth. It's it's an enjoyable novella. Um, not my favorite story, but I like Miles and I like Tara and I like Bill and I like Nicole mm-hmm. and I hate Royoval and Fel yep. is sort of neutral, but um, it's it's good. Um, and then we have the Borders of Infinity. Yes, which I literally just finished an hour before we started doing this. <laughs> yes. So um, in this story, Miles infiltrates a Sitigandan POW camp to extract a prisoner. When that prisoner dies, Miles changes plans to rescue the entire camp, all 10,000 of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is a story that I think I told you it's really kind of, eh, while well, it was reading it, like, I'm like, okay, this is good. Like, Miles is being miles and it's not until the very end when it's like holy, holy shit miles what did you're you do? a genius yeah he- well because a lot of it you don't really know what's happening no you're like what is he doing why is what what is this yeah and, and then it made sense right so he gets there and he wants to find this 
this prisoner and the prisoner dies and he's like, okay, well, I can call for an extraction for me or I can change the mission. And like he's talking indirectly to Ellie and Elena who have been inserted in like the monitoring area, like the, mm-hmm. the people who monitor the prison camp. And um, he says, like, I think we're all going to need to be uplifted and you don't realize what that means until later on when he says something like, I was hoping they were getting my signals. And I'm like, had to flip back to be like, oh, 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 okay. And that's right. Wh- and that's why they picked Elena and Ellie, because they know what he means. <laughs> they know him the best. <laughs> yep. And you don't really find that out until like the last maybe 10 pages of the book. Yeah. So for the most part, you're like, okay, I mean... He's like, like, I mean, I guess I understand, like, it's nice that he's creating this orderly way to get food so no one starves and people don't die. Right. But but why is he so being miles about it? And then you realize it's because, oh, he has to figure out a way to get 10,000 people out of the camp and onto these shuttles in an hour. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, I d- okay, I get it. Yeah. I, yep, I finally understand. And um, the, the end of the novella in which, and I completely forget her name already, the 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 oh. the redheaded girl who fell Beatrice Beatrice yes who 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 falls off the ramp and Miles like goes to try to grab her mm-hmm. and isn't able to do it um and he has this regret and if if you read the not the the full novel Borders of Infinity with the little interstitials in between it mm-hmm. um they you know M- Miles uh, Cordelia comes in right after he tells Ilion that story and he's like maybe now he finally realizes why, why? that affected him so much a tall mm-hmm. redhead dying it's like oh my god miles you're stupid but um <laughs> i can't believe you didn't know that before now i know but i read this i think i read this i can't remember if i read this before or after komar mm-hmm. um and there is a scene in Komar that sort of reflects that moment of him, like, going to trying to catch Beatrice that um, we will revisit when we get to Komar. I was going to say, I don't remember that, but we'll get there. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'll remember it at some point. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you, it's the lake part. The lake part. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Got it. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's Borders of Infinity. And um, you can find those. There's a there's a novel collection called just called Borders of, of Infinity. Um, and um, and the story with Miles and Simon is like short. It has to do with an audit. But, yeah, it's like a couple of pages at most. Yeah, but it's it's nice to sort of like put their relationship into mm-hmm. perspective, and um, it does um, add a lot to the novel memory, um, which we'll get to soon. Yes. 
So moving on to the novel portion of this episode, Brothers in Arms, um, which I love, and I love the title. It has it has multiple meanings. Multiple meanings. Multiple meanings. Um, so uh, on the run from the city of Gandons, because they're very angry about breaking out all of the people from of, the POW camp. 10,000 prisoners. The Marilakans, which I love that name, by the way. Marilak. Yep. It sounds like um, a makeup. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I want to, like, wear it as a lipstick. Marilak. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Sedigans are very angry and have been pursuing the Dendari. Um, they finally stop at Earth. They need to get their fleet fixed. Also, Miles needs money. Um... And, uh, right, because you sort of have you've got to have a lot of operating capital. Yes, he needs 18, have- 18 million marks to be precise. <laughs> yep, <laughs> um, a lot. Yes. So Miles resumes the role of Lieutenant Verkozigan and is assigned to the Berearan Embassy, where Ivan is also assigned. Because <laughs> good, oh Ivan, lucky Ivan, <laughs> do you miss your cousin? <laughs> I missed Ivan. I don't uh, think Miles did, uh, but I missed Ivan. Ivan is so good, and I. Can't wait till for you to read his book. <laughs> it's only I've only got two more books to read. I know no, one more book to read before I get there. Yep, and then you have to stop. You can't read anymore. I know, I, I know, told you. but it's really hard. It's like trying to tell an. It's like an. It's it's an addiction. I know. Well, you can go back and read the books, then like read them again for the podcast because okay. now we're at all the that. good ones. I can do that. Um. So, um, Miles is basically stationed there, and the captain, um, Captain Galeni, they meet, you, he meet, uh, Juve Galeni, who is the captain there, and, it, like, he's kind of, eh, he's, you know, he's kind of stuck up a little bit. Miles doesn't like him. He thinks there's something fishy with him. Um, but Miles thinks that of a lot of people. Yep. <laughs> um, who don't do what he wants. Uh, so Miles has these sort of adventures where he helps um, some of the Dendari who have gotten into a little problem with <laughs> paying for liquor at a liquor store, and yep. it goes up in flames, and Miles goes to help because he's the highest ranking officer there nearby. It's a very funny scene. It is a very funny scene, and Miles rescues an old lady who then, like, sues him later on. <laughs> Yep. And, um, but the problem is, is that, you know, there's media there on Earth and they catch it on, like, film and, like. So for someone who has a double identity. And who looks. This is as difficult. And who looks as distinct as Miles. Yep. Like, you know, for someone who's, like, you know, Ivan's height and Ivan's weight, like, it might be a little easier to be like, oh, yeah, there's, there's multiple tall men tall white men <laughs> with brown hair right there's there's not many multiple tall i mean multiple um four foot ten slightly hunchbacked barry Arons out yes. in the world yes um so um he also is there's an assassination attempt with him at the shuttle port which emily stops with a rocket launcher <laughs> <laughs> that's just great i mean it's definitely I love, overkill 
I but love, oh my god, how amazing. I love Ellie. I love her a lot. And I love that she's just like, oops. And then like they arrest her and she's like, oh no, it's fine, Miles. Don't worry. Like I just I just have to tell them the story and then it'll be fine. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> um so yeah, I haven't read Ethan of Athos, um, which is I have not either before this. But um Ellie is a major character in that book, and that is and so I'm like, uh, I really should read that because I like Ellie a I lot. I really like Ellie. Yeah. And I can see why Miles does as well. Um, so Miles... Well, yeah. Yeah. So Miles needs his money, um, but the courier keeps failing to bring his credit chit. And Miles believes that Captain Galeni is something to do with it. So Miles sends Elena off to, like, the Sector 2 headquarters to, like, get uh, Commodore Destang, who is the the in imp sec uh, commander there, and to get their money, <laughs> right? Because he's they're gonna have to they're start desperate. talking. Right? They've have they mortgaged a ship yet? They um, do. They do mortgage. A, they mortgage a ship. They he basically sends all the Dendari out to do odd jobs. He like tells the accountant Lieutenant Bone to like just create money. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, figure it out is basically, but they have mm-hmm. to pay all these people. Yeah. They have to feed them. That's a lot of people and housing and, and Tora. logistics. <laughs> Tora. Oh, yeah, they have to feed. Tora's food budget <laughs> is, you know, seven of everyone else's. Right. Uh, um. So one of the most important parts of this book is that Ellie and Miles get together. Oh. Finally. It's really Yay. cute. Um, and Ma- Ellie has basically been in love with Miles since he bought her a new face. Um, Which is kind of a weird and gross. a weird relationship dynamic. Yeah. But, you know, it seems to do okay. Yeah, it does. Um, so, yeah, they get together. He buys her a cat blanket, but then realizes he doesn't have money to buy it. So she buys it. Can we talk about the cat blanket for a second? We can talk. There's kitten trees, and now there's cat blanket. I I mean, <laughs> the kitten tree was really disturbing on a level that I did not expect. Mm-hmm. Um, the cat blanket, also disturbing, because it purrs. It does purr. And, like, snuggles, but it's not sentient. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, it's weird. I, I just... I just don't think I can get behind that, to be honest. Like, it sounds nice and fuzzy. Yeah. But also, who? Yeah. I, I'm I'm not a fan of it either. It, um, it just freaks me out. I think I, I sent you a text about how much it freaked me did. out. I do like my my actual cat blanket. <laughs> so like I a see, living, breathing cat yeah, blanket, I get. I see the appeal because having a cat lay on you is very nice and cozy. But also, like, I I, I do love the idea of, of, of uh, like, Mark waking up with the, thinking the blanket's trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, non-sentient purring cat blankets. Are weird. A little weird. A little weird. But a lot in this series is weird. I appreciate her leaning into the weirdness sometimes. Agreed. Um, 
I just don't personally want one. No. Uh, but the kitten tree was the worst. It was. Thankfully, that is terrible. Thankfully, there are actual kittens later on to make up yes. for it. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Miles and Ellie's get together. They make out. He has a really difficult walk back to the embassy. <laughs> <laughs> and probably spends a lot of time in the shower after that. Yep. Um, uh, when a journalist pieces together that Lieutenant Verkozigan and Admiral Naismith are the same person, Miles comes up with a story that Naismith is Verkozigan's clone and that, like, kind of ran away from his keepers and, like, created these mercenaries. And, like, the Barrerans want, like, to keep an eye on him. Um, and like make sh- you know make sure he's not doing anything like to threaten Brayar. And Miles thinks this is the most genius story genius. he's ever come he's up like, with. I am a genius. Yes. Little does he know. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that several times in these books, Lois McMaster Bujold will like basically throw the foreshadowing. At your face. Right in your she face. She is not subtle about it. And no, but then, but you don't think of it as foreshadowing. No. and Like, the, it doesn't have that foreboding feel. Right. And it's not just that part of him saying, oh, it's a clone. There's also a part earlier when he's in the, um, like, the lift with Ellie. And this is right after he's almost been, uh, you know, assassinated. So he's Mm -hmm. on medication and he sees a reflection in the mirror and he's like, he thinks it's himself. Um, Right. He thinks it's it's a reflection in the mirror, but it's actually Mark, the the clone. It it ends up being his actual clone. Yes. And, um, and it's, you know, Miles thinks it's the medication messing with him because the, the reflection, quote unquote, isn't wearing the same clothes. The reflection's wearing the Briaran uh, dress gr- or undress greens as opposed to the Nindari uniform. So that's why they couldn't switch them that day because right. of the they weren't they would not have looked alike. Right. Um, and so like Miles sees that and is like, "Oh, this is weird," and that's sort of what influences him later to create the story. So right, like, but I didn't pick up. I mean, I picked no, up I didn't pick on that either. Entirely, that he was just overly medicated and tired, and you know, mm-hmm. it never would have occurred to me that that was actually his clone and in the lift tube. It's so wonderful. Like, oh no, it, it's fantastic when you when he pieces it all together. You're like, ah, oh, what? Yeah. 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 So, um, Miles gets back to the embassy, and Captain Galani has disappeared. Um, the Dendari investigate what is happening. Um, they get sort of a call to um, go to this townhouse and um, they, you know, they, they check it out. They scan it. They sense no one inside. Um, and then Miles is switched with his clone. He's abruptly kidnapped by people that were actually there, even though their scanners couldn't sense them. Yeah. And, it's, and that's a terrifying scene. Like, yep. it is terrifying. Like, the idea of, like, 
someone just like coming up behind you and kidnapping you and not just kidnapping you but then replacing you and you like he's left to wonder are they gonna know it's not me like right like how did how will they he's like oh and it's happening within if it had been brighter in mm-hmm. that it's happening within eye shot of your friends right and like yeah this is not a you know, this is not a super secluded location. Yeah. You've got backup. You've got all the things you should be Ellie doing. Ellie is upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ivan is outside. And he's like, are they going to, like, they have to know. They have to know. And then, like, days go by of him in this cell. And he's like, they're not going to know. Like, how would Ellie know? Like, we've literally just started, you know, hooking up. This thing. <laughs> Will yep. she know? Like, and um, so Ivan or Miles gets taken to um, this other location where he's thrown in a cell with <laughs> Galeni, <laughs> who has been there for four days already. Yep. And, um... So they, um, before when they were investigating Galeni, they found out that he was actually named David Galen, and he was the son of a Comoran revolutionary who, um, supposedly died during the Comoran revolt, which we haven't seen, we never, we did not see on page, um, but it happened a few years, I think, I can't remember when exactly it was supposed to happen. It, the Kamaran revolt, I think, was like 30 years prior, wasn't it? Well, it Oh, w- no, that's when they took over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the revolt, I think, so was, this was between, several years yeah, prior. This was between the pretendership and when, like, I think the Warrior's Apprentice happened. Because right. Galen, I think, was like... G- Galeni was like four... He was... Yeah. No, Ma- I'm sorry. Miles was four. That's what it says. I remember that now. When the when uh, the revolt happened. Okay. So yeah, Miles was four. So So that's twenty some odd and, years. And and Duve, I think, is like was is ten years older than Miles. Okay. Um, so he's so yeah. It's in the audiobook they call him Dove. Oh god, I don't like that. Um <laughs> I don't I- like that at all. <laughs> no, no, he's due. He's due. All right. <laughs> um. So yeah. So we found that out, and Miles is like thinking that's sketchy. But we, you know, come to find out, Duve never knew that his father was alive. Like, and the conversation that he and Miles have is really brilliantly written. Like, it's so mm-hmm. tense. And he's like, Miles is piecing together all these things, and Duve is just not good. And um, <laughs> and he's like, when, how long have you known that your father was alive? And Duve is like, since four days ago. <laughs> right. And it's like, oh. <laughs> oh. Um, well, because you'd been thinking that maybe he was the bad guy. Yeah, because I mean that's how while. he's written. That's how Miles sees him. Yep. Um, but Miles is wrong. Miles is wrong. Um, he, uh, th- his father, uh, who they only call Sir Galen, is um, 
has orchestrated this plot to assassinate Errol and take over the Imperium, which is really kind of a dumb plot. <laughs> but, it's uh, really dumb, but like a lot of plots like that are dumb. Yes, it is. But um, when we read Mirror Dance next month, you'll realize that um, it's it it might be dumb, but God does Lois McMaster Bujol get a lot of, a lot of her money's worth from it. Yep. Yep. Um. So yeah, and I'm not saying that she came up with it as dumb. Oh no, it's it's like this character hasn't fully thought through as much as he's thought about this plan. Yeah, he's so focused on revenge that he mm-hmm. hasn't really thought much further than that. Right, and the plan that we are first presented with, which is take over Miles's life, kill Errol, kill Gregor, take the Imperium, give Kamar back its freedom, we find out, or Miles figures out, is really not the plan. It's just kill Errol, the clone is just a goat. Um, right. Like, the clone is is not going to survive because no way would Berear put Miles on the throne. And Miles knows that. And, like, yep. he figures that out and then he's like, okay, this is how I get out of here. I'm going to try to convince the clone to, like be revolt and be his own person right which is ironic considering like that was what inspired this was the komar and revolts <laughs> right uh so um so yeah i i really love Dove, and i forget that every time i'm reading mm-hmm. the series until he gets on the page and i'm like oh yeah i really like him oh i like him <laughs> especially here like like he's just he's just a very interesting character and i like that he was a historian <laughs> and yes, um, i love that and, and that they thought he was kind of boring yeah and like and they have but he's got so much hidden depth going on mm-hmm. and like him and miles have v- very interesting conversations because like they talk about like you know komar and komar having its freedom and mm-hmm. you know that may you know yeah maybe they should have their freedom but also like they let the said said again and send to take over Berear. like um and it's you know uh galeni is like i you know what is it worth it to me to try to fight for komar like it's not like it's not worth anything to me. Like I, all I have known is Kamar under Burayar and, you know, they, you know, they're giving me this opportunity and to try to like make life better for all of us. And what are you, if, what are the revolutionaries trying to do if they're not creating a better Kamar? <laughs> um, right. And it's like, those things don't usually get like, examined like that um especially in this sort of like sci-fi adventure story so i Mm -hmm. really appreciated like that it's and there really is no right answer like and that's what i love no and these are because these are complicated issues yeah and it's not like you can't boil it down to one sentence and solve it then 
It's just yeah. not how it works. I mean, like the only like the only people I'd really ever say were like definitively bad guys are like people like Baron Ryoval or Baron. Oh well, yeah, he's Barra, terrible. Or a uh, Baraputra, like those sorts of characters, or you know, like Vordarian. <laughs> but like, yep. I mean. There's, you know, so many characters, like, even Miles does things that I'm like, oh, my God, that's, what are you doing? It's horrible. And Errol, you know, has, you know, done really horrible things in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, um, Miles starts to encourage his clone to see himself as his own person. Um, They have a conversation, um... That, which that is sort of like unsanctioned by Galen, and that's when you sort of see like the control Galen has. And um, I love the conversation between them so much. Um, and when they drag Miles away, kicking and screaming, and he yells out, "Mark, your name is Mark, Mark, Mark Pierre Vorkos again." I that was the moment when I was like. Okay, I'm all in on Miles as a character. <laughs> it was that specific moment, like yep, and like he he realizes that like he's probably stupid, like thinking of the clone as a person, but like he's thinking like, well, on according to Bait and Law, he's my brother, you know, and he hears Cordelia, yep. he, he he hears Cordelia he hears yelling at him, head. like, what have you done with your brother? Your brother. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it, it's I think, good. Is it, what have you done with your baby brother or yes, something like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um... So, um, Mile, so, um, Ellie and the Denari come to rescue them. And he's, he's like, wait, what are you, what are you doing here? And he's like, she's like, you sent us to come find Gate Galeni and we found Galeni. <laughs> and oh, you're here too. And then he's like, yeah, um, that guy with you is not a, is That's not me. Not me. And they're like, oh my God. And like, he's like, didn't you realize something was weird? And they're like, yeah, right away. But Yeah, but we like, just thought you were being weird. And like you came up with that clone story. And he's like, Yes, but it was real. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a story, but it was real. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yes. So um <laughs> so they um so they go back to the embassy. Um El- Elena and Destang come there. They find out that like the the um the credit shit was never like sent or like the the courier message was never sent to never them never sent so obviously the Kamarans have sort of been infiltrating and like been taking over stuff mm-hmm. so um <laughs> this thing's like yes you'll get your money and then they have this big discussion over what to do about Galen and Mark and they're like you know Galen is a threat to Berear you know basically they're Gonna, his life is forfeit but um they want to sort of kill mark as well and miles is again hearing cordelia what have you done with your baby brother and um he's like no i don't want to and of course ivan and, El- and ellie are like what are you doing why do you what care you so smoking? much what yep and he's just like he's my brother like i can't not think of him like this and i'm like miles is baiting enough yes to, to think of him that way well and he's half baiting but like 
he's been living as Admiral Naismith for how long? Who is Baton? So right, it that's it seeps in, you know. Yep, yep. So um, and I think like it's so interesting because you think about like you know he's thinking of Mark as not just his clone but also like a person who's never had the chance to live his life, and he's like you can. You you can come back with me to Berear. You have a life there. You're Lord Mark. But you can also do whatever you want. And so there's this really great line where they're trying to figure out what to do with Mark. And Miles realizes that the Dendari can go after him um, mm-hmm. and try to get him before the Berearans do or the Setagandans do because they're also there now after them. Um, and <laughs> Lots of people after Miles. Yes. And now the clone um and so there's this really great like turn of phrase when miles is like what is one mark worth (laughs) um (laughs) you know going off the play of brayer and marks which is funny (laughs) so there's this big showdown at the london title basin um that is very long and complex involves ivan getting locked in a cabin in a closet and um this is actually uh, comes back to haunt him for a long time. Even in the time of Captain Verpatrol's alliance, he still has experiences claustrophobia. Oh, <laughs> poor n- Ivan! I, I feel like I say that every book. I oh, know, poor Ivan. And he's bless his heart. And he's not the biggest fan of uh, Mark Pierre Verkos again for a while. <laughs> yeah, um, which understandable. Yeah. Um. So. To make a long story short, um, they confront uh, Ivan gets kidnapped. They go to try to rescue Ivan. They confront Galen and Mark. Um, Mark Galen gives the gun, the nerve disruptor to Mark, and is like, "Kill them!" And you know immediately what's going to happen. And Mark turns the weapon on Galen and kills Galen. And kills Galen. Um, They, Ellie and Doof kind of separate because they're trying to find Mark or trying to find Ivan. They find Ivan. They escape from the Sitagandans and the Barrens. Miles sets up this like standoff where they stun each other it's really funny um (laughs) ellie is fine she's stunned in a closet um and Duve is sort of not fine but holding it together well i mean would you be fine no i wouldn't i wouldn't i completely understand Duve. it's it's fine but it will be i would definitely not be fine it gets better i promise yeah so then they, um, they, so all is well. They go back to the embassy. The Dendari get a new contract to, um, for another job. And Miles gives Mark, like, a million, like, a, a credit shit with, like, it's like a million baiting dollars or something crazy like that on it mm-hmm. and is like because because he wants to go and like destroy the clone business on jackson's hole and miles is like you can't just go in and destroy it like someone else will take their place you have to fight them where um where it counts and this is also 
foreshadowing. <laughs> Not for this book. But for sure the does. next book. Sure is, rather. <laughs> so, um, and that's how we end with um with them going their separate ways. Which we will that that doesn't last for long. No. Um couple of years. Which I'm glad about. Yes. Although I hated Mark in this book. I who will become Mark, I guess, the clone. Yeah. Um and as we go on in later books, I really enjoy his character and his journey, which I did not expect he, after having finished this book. It is a very fascinating character arc. And I mean, that's saying a lot because like Miles is an amazing character. And oh, yeah. like you think like a copy of Miles is like, how can that work? And it right. does. And it does, but they're completely different characters. Like completely. you know it, and they they end up not even really resembling each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it physically, I mean, yes, they're clones, so they have to physically resemble each other. But um, right. it, it's just a really fascinating journey that he goes on, and I really empathize with him. Um. Obviously, he makes some questionable choices, but that's fine. It all seems to come right in the end. Yeah. Or as far as I've read anyway. <laughs> I haven't read to the end of the series, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. As far as I've read, it's all good. Yeah. So, that is Brothers in Arms. We get the introduction of Mark, um, who ends up being a major character in the series, um and you know creates you know a a different dynamic to the Verkozigans because for so long Miles was an only child because they you know Cordelia and Errol decided not to have other children because they mm-hmm. didn't want to threaten Miles's countship and inheritance you know they knew that if they had another child who was quote unquote normal um, that there would be pressure to disinherit Miles and make them the heir. And they didn't want to do that to Miles. Um, you know, they could have used the Uden Replicator and had a girl, but, you know, Burray are. <laughs> yep, that's, uh, yeah, and that's a whole, um, the, the, the book I actually just finished, well, apart from the novellas I finished today, um, the book I just finished deals a lot with women and inheritance mm-hmm. on Burayar. Mm-hmm. And parts of it made me so mad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so mad. Yep. So I can't wait to get into gender roles and... Uh, and how do they treat a clone? Right. Yeah. Can't wait to get into all of that good stuff. Right. And also, we didn't talk about this about Mark, but like, so Miles makes a big point of, you know, emphasizing to everyone that he is his his um his disabilities are not mutagenic; they're teratogenic. Teratogenic, so yes. that his children would not inherit them. Yep. Um, and so any clone of Miles should be normal. So. They, I'm, I'm saying normal in quotes, you know. Um, right. Yes. Uh. So, 
to create Mark, they had to re-replicate every single surgery Miles ever had in his life. Which is terrible. Yes. And you think of all the pain that Miles went through to get his bones to the point where he could at least walk. Um, and all of the surgeries he had, and that is he's still going through, like, in the in the framing story for um Borders of Infinity, he's had finally had his arm bones replaced with synthetics. Finally. Yeah. So every time this happens, Mark also has to go and get this operation. Yep. Um and and Mark like and we you go into this more later in uh, Mirror Dance and in Civil Campaign, but Mark does not have Miles's metabolism. Miles is naturally very very small because mm-hmm. of his birth- because of all of these. It, this this happened from birth, so yes. his body has adjusted. Yes, like he he Whereas- is he is naturally a very small individual, and his metabolism is is designed for that. Mark is a normal, a averaged height and weight Bararin squished down to Miles' height of four foot nine, and like has been like had his metabolism sped up to match Miles. And when he does not have that anymore, like his metabolism doesn't keep up. And he naturally gets bigger. He naturally gains a lot of weight. Yes. So it's it like it makes you like like this is a way to write a sympathetic character because just thinking of everything that Mark had to go through in his life is just horrifying. Um and yes, he does terrible things. Terrible, terrible, yep. terrible, terrible things. things. Um and is kind of a terrible pers- terrible person at times, but like he has such a fascinating arc and i'm i i i was like you i did not think i was going to like mark um i you know there was a point in mirror dance when i was like yep nope i hate you um and yep, then nope. but and by the end of the book i was like oh my god i love you mark <laughs> yep it and it's fascinating and it, it really does happen in about one book yeah it, it, yeah, mirror dance. Like the space of half a book, actually. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. All good stuff. Yeah. Um. So the other big thing about this book is that Miles and Ellie finally get together. Um, but, of course, it can't last because my, Ellie is space-born and has no desire to ever set foot on Burayar. And, of course, Miles, while he is Admiral Naismith for now, knows that one day he has to resume Lord Vorkos again. And he needs Lady Vorkos again. So, um, yeah. But for now, he's going to have fun with Ellie. (laughs) I mean, hey. Right. And they actually are a really good couple. I liked them as a couple. They're very cute. Um, I thought they were cute. And I knew they wouldn't last. No, but it's not a spoiler. You know that going into it, no, and they, you know and going they in. know going into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other uh, 
more minor, but the introduction of Duve, who um, who shows up throughout the series and become he doesn't become a major major character, but he he ends up having a an important role in the series. Um, so I like him a lot. I like him too. He's yeah. a good guy, good solid, steady guy. Yes, yes, yep. So, anything else we want to? Mention for these uh, Dendari-focused stories? I don't think so. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy them. Yep. Um, they're a lot of fun. The The series sort of changes focus. It really does. Um, <laughs> several times, actually. And it's nice. It keeps it fresh. These are fun, but I couldn't read an entire, like, 16-book series about just, like, romps with the mercenaries. Right. And you think of how like how many other series last this long and i don't think uh, like I, so many of them don't because like how can you keep a, a series going for 16 17 books without getting completely boring um and she she'll do something like okay two books with mile or errol and cordelia and then we're mm-hmm. going to go to Miles, and then we're going to have Miles in this mercenary fleet. And oh, then we're going to change the focus completely. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like she could probably write, like, more books in this series if she wanted to, but, mm-hmm. like, just have it set 100 years in the future, or change the focus on a different planet or characters, or... You know, I mean, you could she could keep going again. I haven't read to the end, but you could keep going. Yeah. And just adjust the focus again. The next generation. Right. I'd keep reading that. Like with how like so much of the story is focused on Miles's desire to like fulfill his father's legacy and like prove Mm -hmm. his grandfather wrong. So like I'm trying to imagine like Miles's children like trying to live up to the legacy of the Muti Lord and like right. you know, what does that mean How for them? Be, right. Because he's done some extraordinary things. Right. And he's not ordinary by no. Breyer in terms. So how do you deal with that when you're normal? Like you right. would think like to Miles like being normal, you'd think, oh, that's a blessing for like as far as Miles is concerned, but is it really when right. like because Miles wouldn't be Miles without without these, what he's yeah. gone through, right? And of course, he would say, you know, he didn't, he never wanted to go through that, and he would rather not. But um, I'm sure that's true for everyone that has any kind oh, of one hundred percent like illness or. Well, I mean, um, and that's the whole problem. People like why I really like the series is that there's. Uh, you know, in fiction, you have there's the tendency to like have like um, characters with disabilities like mm-hmm. have it be treated like a gift, you know, that sort yep. of thing. And you know, people who have who, who are disabled like take umbrage with that because it's like, no, it's it's not a gift. It it's horrible, and I don't want it. Um, and this story, like the series, never treats it you know, Miles' disabilities as that way, but they also don't deny that they make him who he is. Right. It's just, yep. this is, this is, you it's know. It's very matter of fact. Yeah. Miles is the way he is because he couldn't walk, and so he had to 
learn to command people <laughs> at an early right. age. <laughs> yep. And and he his personality he's cultivated to fill the gaps in his physical self. Mm-hmm. Um particularly on on Barry R that is so um mutation averse and military mad, you know. So he really from a from infancy, I assume, or toddlerhood, started cultivating a personality that made up for is the wrong word because it doesn't make him any less of a person to have a disability. But like, yeah, in the eyes of society, of of his society, made up for yes these these physical uh, disabilities. Yes. Um, and that's actually very smart of him. Yeah. He's a smart guy. Yeah. I like him. And I it's think we'd smart, be friends. And it's smart of Lois Master Bujold. <laughs> yep. It like, really is. I, that's one of the reasons I love this series is that cause she examines really hard topics and doesn't yep. shy away from them. Um, but doesn't like make light or anything or make anything trite, you know? Right. Exactly. Yep. I love these books. I know. Me too. I can't (laughs) stop reading them. You're welcome. It's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And thankfully, we have this outlet to talk about them. Yes. Because otherwise, I'd be bugging my friends and they haven't read them. And I'd be like, well, but but Miles just... uh, Never mind. I know. Uh, All right. So thank you all for joining us uh for episode six of the virtuous cast we're getting we're we're getting on there this is no longer a new new podcast no i know we're like established we are so please join us next month as mark pierre virtuous again proves he can be just as much of an idiot as his brother Bye. And he does it well. Oh, bye. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> bye. Bye. The Varcosa Cast is a Tashi Station podcast brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Visit patreon.com slash Tashi Station for more details. And we thank you all for supporting the show. Follow us on Twitter with the handles at Nancy Pants, at R underscore A underscore Smith, and at Tashi underscore Station. Subscribe to the show on iTunes via the Tashi Station Master Feed or the Tashi Station Book Club Feed. And don't forget to leave us a review. Forward momentum!